I'm telling you, he's going to be a household name in Nashville by the end of September. You can bookmark this. this I don't I don't come with takes like that very often, JT. I really don't. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Wednesday, May the 31st. I'm your host, Easton Freeze. You can follow me on Twitter at Easton Freeze. I'm the director of published content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I'm joined, as always, by producer JT, who you can follow on Twitter at JT underscore Runky. JT, how are we doing, buddy? <laughs> we're, 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 uh, we're, we're chugging along, aren't we? We're, we're, life, it's, it's life. And we just, are choosing uh, to give back lemonade yes exactly right um but you know what we're here in some form talking about the events of otas today we're just going old school today no no live show unfortunately um if any of you caught our attempt at a live show today um some connectivity issues and platform performance issues that i won't go into the details of very nerdy and boring um just limiting our ability to go live today we tried it worked for everything except playing the clips. And we have like 20 clips to share with you today. And we didn't want to forego all that effort and production value to do the live show and not include all the substance from the guys you actually want to hear from, not us, but the people we, you know, we spoke to today at OTA. So we're recording it. And hopefully you're listening to this. As soon as we have it out, we're going to get it out ASAP Wednesday evening. Um, and so it'll be out and available soon. And we appreciate y'all's patience and understanding Technology is finicky sometimes. It happens. So we move. We do have a lot to talk about today and a lot of interesting things to talk about today. From OTAs round two, I was there all day today watching the uh, second OTA practice that media had been uh, available for, or excuse me, I, I guess that we had been allowed to be there for. It was the fifth practice that they'd had, fifth OTA practice. And I believe it is the last OTA that we'll be invited to until mandatory mini camp which is a, a whole new deal june 6th through the 8th but today we got to start the day jt talking to a number of the titans position coaches who were available before practice they were kind enough to come on out be available for us pretty much all the position coaches on the team and uh, i spoke to a number of them the first of which and we only have one clip from mr charles london new quarterback coach from the atlanta falcons He's, of course, overseeing the triumvirate of Will Levis, Ryan Tannehill, and Malik Willis. And we asked him about kind of the odd man out in that group, Malik Willis, and what exactly the Titans coaching staff has been asking of him to work on in this spring so far. JT, this is clip number one. Let's hear what he had to say. I think one of the important things is you just come in and get to know them a little bit. And sometimes it's outside of football. You, know, you just get to know them on a personal level and a little bit about their background and share some stuff about yourself as well. I think you start to build a connection and you carry it on from there. How does it work for, for Malik, given that his skill set maybe is, is uh, different than, than what you've got in Ryan and, and uh, Levis? You know, uh, you know, I've watched Malik from afar. Obviously, evaluated him last year and when I was in Atlanta. And, you know, we just want Malik to continue to grow on what we're asking him to do. I think he's done a good job of of doing what we've asked him to do. We, we tasked him with some stuff uh, this offseason, and he's done a great job of that. He's come in prepared every day and working hard, and we just want to continue to see him get better. So I think there actually may be one more clip, JT, of quarterback coach Charles London um, talking about the specifics of what they asked for Malik Willis to be working on. Do we have that one? 
<clears throat> just just commanded the huddle, commanded the offense. Uh, he did a lot of studying, learning defenses, and you know a lot of stuff that, that we'd asked him to do, and uh, he came and did a great job with it. He'd been unwilling to throw sometimes last year, maybe after a read or, 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 or whatever. Do you, is that something that you've talked to him about? You know, we obviously we've evaluated his game, you know, the whole season, and it's hard to speak to last year because I wasn't here last year. But you know, with Malik, it's all about moving forward. Uh, you know, he learned a lot last year, but now it's time to move forward. Let's let's get a good grasp of this new offense we're putting in and, and take it from there. When Kaharski asks right there, that secondary question of he's been re reluctant to throw. Have you guys been asking him to make more decisive? moves on the field and then there's that pause I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna trademark that that's the coach speak pause okay that is whenever you get that pause in a response from a coach in an, in an interview that is them putting the question and their true answer in their brains into their coach speak generator their mental ai and spitting out the coach speak e answer the politically correct answer the Let's not get in trouble with giving away too much or putting down a player or um, ticking off the coaches that are ahead of me in the, the rank and file. And that's what that was, kind of a coach speaky answer. But the first part of his answer um, was obvious, I think, to anybody who has watched Malik Willis play, understands what it is he needs to be working on. And uh, the, the Titans coaching staff obviously understands what he needs to be working on. And that's the command of the huddle. That's navigation of the pocket, keeping the eyes downfield. Uh, making decisive moves, um, picking a guy and, and sticking with it, not forcing things when things aren't there, not having that arm arrogance that we saw a little bit from him last year. And all of those things um, I have thoughts on from today's practice. I thought that you saw a little bit of a better Malik Willis today at practice than we have seen in the past. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. The next coach we talked to before practice was the Titans' new defensive line coach, Terrell Williams. And this first clip, JT, it's clip number two. This is Terrell Williams talking about one of his stars, Danico Autry, and just how much they'll be utilizing him on the inside versus the outside this season. Backer, when you say backer, I'm assuming you're talking about outside. outside it's yeah. just how we label guys. They're all front guys, whether they play outside linebacker, defensive lineman, they're front players. Jeff's a front player. Autry's a front player. Weaver's a front player. Um, um, Arden's a front player. So we, we just figure out week to week how we're going to use those guys. And the, the, this question, I'm sure, is born of the idea that, you know, JT, we saw, we saw this guy play a lot of outside linebacker or edge last year when really traditionally throughout his career he, he's played you know Danico Autry's played a lot more inside than out now he's very talented at both he's he's one of the best players on the team for that very reason he is kind of the definition of versatility on the defensive front which is what the Titans are rallying around this offseason but with the addition of Arden Key with the return of Harold Landry and with Rashad Weaver going into year two of having the role that he had last year you've got three guys now that are kind of the, the you'd assume the primary outside guys and so how much of Danico Autry will we see on the outside this year I want to say it'll go back to what we saw two seasons ago um, before the triage really began and you saw Danico Autry primarily on the inside and he was just as much if not more of a game wrecker from that position than when he's been on the edge or playing outside linebacker or you know stand-up linebacker at times the past couple of seasons wearing many hats to fill many roles due to injury 
So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And that wasn't really much of an answer besides the fact that this team is focusing on versatility. This team is focusing on guys being able to play multiple positions. And with Danico Autry, they're comfortable with him, obviously playing multiple positions. This next clip, clip three, JT, is uh, defensive line coach Terrell Williams once again talking about another one of his stars, Tier Tart, who we asked him about, you know, what's what do you make of Tier being here playing without having be still the only dude in the league that has not signed his tender? What, what do you make of that? And he said he was very honest. He's like, I don't know nothing about tenders. I don't know anything about contracts. Um, basically, I'm here for ball, dude. I, I didn't come here. What what's the what's the uh, I think it's the the Cardell Jones quote from uh, Ohio State. We, I, I didn't come here to to play social studies or something like that. I came here to play football. That's that's what Coach Terrell Williams is here. He's here's here for the football. And in clip three, he's talking about Tier Tart and what the next step for him as a player can be after his really breakout season last year. What are the coaches looking for him to excel in, to take the next step in? And in clip three here, JT, this was his answer. To take those steps towards the um, the middle of last season, but you, you got you got really three types of players. You got a player who's great at playing the run. You got a player who's great at doing the pass in the pass game, pass rush. And then you got players that are great at both. And his job now is to become great at both. I would I would put him um, up against anybody in the run game. Now it's just just getting better from a pass rush standpoint. Jeff. Now, I understand that's the next step for him. I do question whether or not he can take that next step, JT. We, we talked last week around OTAs about how he and Jeffrey Simmons complement each other well because they're they're pretty different players. And I just don't know if he has the athleticism that Simmons has to be that true penetrating interior guy in the pass rush. I don't do, do you see him ever really becoming a Jeffrey Simmons style three down? can can do it both in the pass and run game. I'm not sure that I do. I I mean, you said it. I think he serves his role best as a compliment. Now, anything you get out of him mm -hmm. past that, I think is a great plus. But of course, of course, for that, for currently what his tender says, um, you know, it's right. nice to have him on that tender. But is it is that for what was it like four point three million or something? It's that's around a, the that's four the or number. five million dollar range. Yeah, it's the number I have in my head. But like as mm -hmm. a compliment to make Jeffrey Simmons greater, it's nice to have. But like with everybody coming back and with Arden Key in there and Danico Autry now being moved around in the fold, it's tough to keep a tear tart out there at all times when he was needed last year like that. Now will he and still? maybe get a role like this. Sure. Maybe sure. like maybe um, Terrell Williams knows what he's talking about and is telling you straight up, like this dude's going to take the, take the steps he needs to and go to that next level. And, and if that's the case, it's not a bad problem to have that you have too many good guys in there. At that point, it just becomes a financial problem when he's going to ask yes. for the bag after the season, but bringing up his tenders, a good point. I, his coach can say what he wants and his coach really here is not saying what he thinks the player is. He's saying, this is what we're hoping the next step for the, this. If this player takes another step, here's where they're going to go, right? That's the, that's the question he's answering the, what the team front office, what the GM and what his head coach think of thinks of him is more reflected in that tender at that price point. That really tells you they think that they have a premium, premium run defender, but in no disrespect, not a whole lot beyond that. 
And so I think that's probably the case. And if not, like you said, not a horrible problem to have. The third and final clip from Titans' new defensive line coach, Terrell Williams, is on his final star that we haven't mentioned on the inside, Jeffrey Simmons, talking about Simmons last year, dealing with his ankle or foot injury for the majority of the back half of the season, going through that adversity. And he was asked about what that maybe meant for Jeffrey Simmons from a mental standpoint, from a um, proving it to himself and to his teammates and to the league standpoint. Here in clip for JT is Terrell Williams talking about his star defensive lineman, Jeffrey Simmons, and the adversity he went through. He went through adversity, and and I just believe that that somehow going through what he went through and still playing and fighting and still wanting to practice, I mean, we had to hold him out um, a lot. That's just going to make him better, uh, better this year for us. So it, it was great for him. I mean, it wasn't great. Uh, at the time, but I think it's going to help him going forward, so, showing that he can still play at a high level, all right, and, and still be able to um, play through injury, fight through injury, because that, that's part of the game. So I was proud of him and what he was able to do for us last year. And I think that's a fair contention. We did do a lot of talking at the end of last season about how Simmons has been kind of not himself because he is physically not himself, but at the same time, we hold him to an incredibly, at times, impossibly high standard because he is one of the top two or three defensive linemen in the entire league when he's healthy. When he wasn't everyone healthy is, last year. Everyone is super proud of him for not injuring himself even <laughs> further is basically the summation of what I think that clip is. I mean, it makes yes. sense. Like You see all these clips all the time of like guys who like are like, the, the one I'm thinking of, because I just saw it recently on TikTok, mm -hmm. is like the one where Dan Quinn is talking to Micah Parsons in like his first like um, yeah. his first preseason game. And he's like, that's it. And he's like, what? I'm just getting started. So like I get that uh -huh. I like from a coaching and media perspective. Yes, we must applaud him and be proud of Jeffrey Simmons for not hurting himself even further. Um, Good job. Um, but like that makes so much sense. And I agree. Like it is only going to make him better. Right. And, and I think his, another point he's making there is like when Jeffrey Simmons is injured, he's actually just a league average or slightly above average interior defender. Like he proved that he can fight through that adversity and he can still be impactful, just not in the superstar capacity that he typically is. Let's move on to the offensive side of the line. And we got four clips here from new. I keep saying new. You can just assume all these guys are new because every position coach I talked to today was new. Turns out they shuffled a lot of these guys around. But the Titans' offensive line is now coached by Jason Houtling. They refer to him as Coach Haas. And for my my mouth and, and my energy, I will continue to refer to him as Haas from now on. But his name's Houtling. Um, we first asked him, JT, and this is clip five, about this reputation he's earned pretty early on based on the, the quotes and comments from his offensive linemen in different media availability capacities. As a player's coach, a lot of talk about how he listens to his players, takes what they have um, in terms of experience into consideration as he coaches them and kind of builds this unit up. And he's he's really in a unique situation, which we'll talk about here in a second. But here is clip five, Jason Houtling's um, thoughts on being a player's coach, at least in reputation. 
I think everybody, you know, I think every coach is going to listen and every coach is going to talk and, and collaborate with their players and make sure, you know, the understanding is there. And um, at the end of the day, you have the same goal in mind, you know, and we all want the same outcome, right? And so just working together um, to try and to accomplish those things, you know, whether it's a particular block or, you know, a scheme or, you know, these, these guys have uh, have a lot of knowledge. They've done a lot of good things in their careers and, and we have a lot of snaps in that room. So um, just trying to get what's in their head and have them, uh, have them talk to me about those things and kind of talk through some of the issues and some of the problems and some of the good things. This next clip I asked him about this team in the past, in the recent past, has been kind of notorious and for many fans frustrating in the sense that they take their time mixing and matching guys in May and June and July and into August on the offensive line, playing guys at different positions, working on positional versatility and all these things that bother people because they wish and many fans seem to be in agreement on this. Can we just get the five? Can we set it and let them really mesh where they belong, where they're actually going to play? And I asked him if that's going to be his philosophy, maybe changing the, the history a little bit, going with a more let's set it and forget it philosophy or, or set it and work on it philosophy instead of mixing and matching. And here was his answer slash non-answer. This is clip six. You know, just talking about it earlier, uh, as far as the O-line being a little bit different, you know, as far as working as one unit, uh, being versatile, you know, guys that, that can play different positions and, and execute different blocks and and uh, just go out and do their job. So, again, it, it's five guys working together, uh, trying to, to execute something each and every play. And, and we have versatile um, uh, offensive linemen who can play guard, tackle, center, you know, so just trying to get the, uh, the best group of O-linemen out there that we can get. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that's a coach speak answer, which you'd expect. And and I will give Coach Haas credit. All of his answers were very, inf very well infused with coach speakiness. Um, he, he's, he's clearly learned from some of the best there in the Titans organization. Not really much of an answer there, JT. But it, like we talked about last week, based on what, what we in the media have seen on the field so far, they seem to be mixing and matching a lot less than they have in the past. And so I think that's a good thing for the Titans. But the unique circumstance that I mentioned a moment ago, they seem to be in as a team or as, a, as an offensive line room in particular, I suppose, is that he's a new offensive line coach really inheriting a brand new blank slate, a, a, a blank canvas that he's able to, and I don't know how much leeway he has in this as compared to, you know, being deferential to Shane Bowen, the defensive coordinator, and of course, Mike Vrabel, the, the head coach. But I'm sure he has a significant amount of say in how exactly we're going to line these guys up. What will be our five? What will be the order? What's the lineup going to look like? How are we going to set this once we get into actual games? He's got a pretty unique circumstance in the sense that he he doesn't have um, you know a legacy right tackle and center and guard and left tackle, and there's one or two positions that he, he can kind of be malleable with. He's got... Second year returning right tackle in Nicholas Petit Ferrer. And then he's got a bunch of guys that we don't really know exactly. We have an idea, but we don't know for sure where they have to play. And he's getting to kind of mold that clay in his in the image that he would choose to to go with. And so I, I think um, that's a probably a, a good challenge for him. That's something that he's probably excited about. But at the same time. Um, a, a lot of blame may be assigned to him. If it doesn't go well if he if he chooses incorrectly. Let's look at this next clip, kind of along the same lines as the question that I just asked and he didn't really answer. Uh, the question was, what's the urgency like 
with getting the five, sticking with the five, and letting that five develop at their own positions. This is clip seven, and here was his answer. I think each and every day we're out here, there's a, there's a sense of urgency, you know, for everybody individually and as a whole uh, to continue to work and get better. And, and that's the that's the idea every time we step on the field. So, um, you know, as far as a sense of urgency, it's certainly there each and every day. You know, I can't give a timetable or anything like that. Like, you know, guys are out here and, and, and they're pushing each other and, and uh, uh, making sure they're trying to be the best player they can be that day and then step out there the next day and be better than they were the day before. This last clip from Coach Haas is on Peter Skaronsky, his first-round rookie offensive lineman, probably guard, but potentially elsewhere, and that was the crux of the question. What exactly do you think Peter Skaronsky is going to be? What's the best fit for him going to be on this team? JT, this is clip eight, and here was his answer to that one. He's a guy that we think can play any position up front, really. And uh, he's repped different positions and just continuing to hone in on whether it's, you know, it doesn't really matter what position it is, but just getting the skill set and, and, and really trying to perfect his craft, whether, you know, it's blocking a guy when he's a guard, tackle, you know, wherever. Um, it's really just trying to perfect those, those, uh, uh, that skill set. You know, and again, it's not, he's played multiple positions. We knew that coming out of Northwestern, and uh, he continues to do that now. It's a lot of the same on Peter Skaronsky. Not surprising. Um, again, I, I think that he's going to be the guard. I think that he's going to be the the tackle and relief if if a guy goes down, in particular Andre Dillard on the left side. And that is that. Not a whole lot of reason to dwell there. JT, let's get to the actual practice, and I'll kind of turn the reins over to you here. Yeah, so there was uh, a little bit different from last week. There was quite a number of players mm -hmm. who were not at today's OTA. We'll run down them real quick. Uh, among the missing players there today, offensive tackle Dylan Radins, tight end Trayvon Wesco, defensive lineman Danico Autry, uh, safety Kevin Byard, uh, safety Imani Hooker, and then cornerbacks Sean Murphy Bunting and Christian Fulton. Although, however, we do have learned that Christian Fulton... Um, is going to be joining the team soon. He's back from Miami. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, Harold Landry was also not there today. Yeah, so a couple of these guys, we know that they're dealing with injuries. Dylan Radens, we know what he's dealing with rehabbing that knee. Trayvon Wesco has not been there at all so far. He's not, he's not been out there at all so far on the field. He's clearly dealing with some kind of injury, but not sure what or how he did it. Danico Autry, I'd imagine probably preventative. Um, he's, a, he's a vet. This is not really his time of year anyways. Kevin Byard, we know what the deal is. Monty Hooker, not sure if that's injury-related or just preventative. He was out there last week. Murphy Bunting, also not sure. He was out there last week. Fulton, we know what the deal is. Welcome back from Miami, Christian. Uh, probably going to see him at mandatory minicamp. And then Harold Landry, we know about his injury. So that all kind of accounts for the guys that you'd expect to potentially be out there but, but weren't. Caleb Farley also on that list, but we know. Um, you can you can list more. It's more it's more e easily uh, done to list healthy bits of Caleb Farley than than unhealthy bits of Caleb Farley at the moment. So he is gone until further notice. Let's dive into the quarterbacks, the position JT that everybody cares most about. Yeah. So once again, another another OTA for for media, another chance to look at these three guys, whether it be uh, Ryan Tannehill or the rookie Will Levis or the sophomore year player uh, Malik Willis mm -hmm. um, these guys were there today what were your thoughts on them and um, from the from the looks of it it wasn't the best day for some of these quarterbacks 
It wasn't the best day for all of them. Certainly a Ryan Tannehill heavy day in terms of good play. Early on, we saw quite a bit more accuracy than we did last year or last year. Goodness, last week. It does feel like a year. Um, la last week, we talked about how there seemed to be a bit of rust going on. There, there may have been a little bit of uh, welcome back inaccuracy, um, especially in early drills against air when they weren't quite in team period yet in seven on seven stuff. And today, I don't think I saw a single drop. I think it was it was or a single miss rather. That was a very good look for those guys early on. Then we got into team period, and we can start with Will Levis. Roughest day for him so far, definitely. His, some real accuracy issues were showing. I caught up with Levis coming off the field at the end of practice, and this is clip nine. JT, we asked him what he thought about his performance today at practice, and here in clip nine is what he had to say. Some ups and downs. Um, operationally, pretty smooth, other than a couple plays. Um, you know, those things are going to happen. Just got to eliminate, eliminate those as much as possible. But uh, you know, a couple missed throws and a couple things I could have done better to get us rolling a little bit more efficiently. But um, they're just going to keep stacking, keep working, get better. Look like you talk yourself out of smashing your helmet on that snap. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, try to compose myself a little bit. Uh, I know that, you know, I got more opportunities tomorrow and the next day, so I'm not going to beat myself up about it too much. Karski's question there, for those who may be curious, is in reference to this is the third third time media has been out there to see him, and it's the third time we've seen a fumbled snap between he and whoever's playing center, Aaron Brewer or whoever on the second team. And um, he, he got very upset but but held himself back. Uh, I, I think somebody asked Coach Vrabel about that afterwards, and Vrabel just shrugged it off and said, you know, we'll deduct it from his payroll if he decides to burn the building down or whatever he does. Um, but the accuracy issues did show today. There was there was a net drill early on, and I can talk about the specifics of this because it was during open shoot period. And there, if you want to see, I, I have a clip of this on my Twitter account right now. They did, you know, those those nets that you know, like have the the holes in them where you know you're trying to hit the, the very small target with the football, trying to get it in the little net. Um, they did it like a net competition drill with the three quarterbacks today. A lot of footwork, and then they turn and throw. And so it was a lot of point and shoot kind of thing. And Malik Willis actually won that competition. He he got it in the net a number of times and was very accurate with it. Tannehill also very accurate, just not as as pinpoint as Malik was today. And then Will Levis missed the whole thing a couple of times. It wasn't wasn't the greatest look for old William, um, but that's going to happen. And really, the inaccuracy issues you could tell the stark difference between when he was and was not accurate really before you even saw where the ball landed in team drills, JT, because like we talked about pre-draft, what was the concern with him for an, from an accuracy standpoint? It was his base. It was his footwork. It was getting those happy feet calmed down, not rushing his mechanics in the pocket, not rushing the throw. His release is so fast. I think sometimes his arm and brain move faster than his feet do. And when he throws on poor platform with, with a poor base from, a different angle every time with different balance every time. Those are the throws that you're immediately like, that one can't be on base. And then you look and he's either dirted it or sorted over the guy. But when you see him really set his feet, plant, point to the target and shoot, he's very accurate. Like it's very night and day in practice. We saw this in, all day long was the case with him. And, and so that's something that he has to continue to work on. JT here in clip 10, uh, the second will of his clip talking about the accuracy issues he's been dealing with. Now he's been working through those. Here was Will Levis's answer 
uh, to how he's going to continue to work on his accuracy? I mean, just continue to work on it. I mean, this this the pre-draft uh, training that I did, I think, helped me a lot with that. I think my accuracy has improved a heck of a lot um, today. Had some inaccuracy on a couple of throws, but I mean, that, that's going to happen regardless of how good you are. Um, just, just trying to eliminate those, but um, it's part of our games that you know we're never going to perfect it. We can always just keep striving to get better at. But um, yeah, I mean, the guys here have helped me a lot with it too, and it's not just a matter of my accuracy, but it's a matter of being a good teammate and being on the same page with all the receivers. So getting that chemistry down with everybody, knowing that they're going to be in spots that we're expecting them to be. And just keep the last thing on Levis I'll say is this, JT, and I'm sure you agree with me here. There was a lot of chatter on Twitter today about how Will Levis had a bad day, a lot of overreacting, a lot of wearing blinders on one day of OTAs. A reminder, it is May, folks. Um, you know, dudes like Sal from Jersey going off about how, oh, now mechanics matter. I don't have a dog in that fight, whatever. All I'll say is this. Will Levis has now, in front of the media, had a very good day, an all right day, and a bad day. He's a rookie. It's May. This is exactly what you should have been expecting from Will Levis so far at this point. Don't fall victim to wearing blinders like this on any one OTA report, on any one training camp report, on any one mandatory mini camp report. It's about the collective progress over the offseason. Think about them um, as a, as a think about each each day of media reporting at practice as a collective unit. Look for trend lines. Look for through lines. Look for look for consistencies and inconsistencies. Don't focus on reports from one day because listen, we're out there for hours and hours, and there's very limited time that we can actually shoot. So for a lot of it, we're sitting there and, and sort of being forced into micro analyzing each and every little detail, each and every little play from practice. Half the time, I wonder if we even truly understand what the point of the drill is when they get more complex and in team drills. So I refrain from talking definitively on some of this stuff, but it's something that People are going to overreact every time. And I, I know that I'm screaming into the wind, shouting at the sky, old man yells at cloud right here. But it really is important to not get too wrapped up in one bad day. One, think about it in your line of work, whatever you do. You have good days and you have bad days. Even Patrick Mahomes has bad days. Even, even Aaron Donald has bad days at the office. Now, their bad days aren't as bad as other guys' bad days. So Will had a bad day. It's going to happen. It's May. All right, let's let's calm down. Let's move on, JT, to Malik Willis. And there was some good thing. We've already heard a little bit about him today, but there were some good things from him today. Um, not not the best ever, but better than what we'd seen from him in the past. I was impressed with, and, and after we talked to his quarterback coach, Charles London, talking about how they've been asking him to work through a lot of these things, he was doing a lot of those things today. And really, even just in comparing last week to this week, he looked better from a decision-making standpoint. He was not forcing throws into windows that were were ill-advised. He, he was not maneuvering the pocket poorly or when he did have to move the pocket, putting his head down and looking to run or panicking, keeping his eyes downfield, running when it's appropriate, throwing when it's appropriate. It was a good day from him. If I had to nitpick, the one thing is just that he still of the three is definitely the slowest to get through his progressions, get through his reads. That's not unexpected because both of these other two guys are different players. They come from different backgrounds and both of them are more well-equipped, I think, 
to get through those reads at an NFL level, unlike Malik Willis, again, coming from Liberty just over a year ago, was kind of a one-read tuck and duck offense that he was running very collegiate, not very NFL-like. So this the game speed, I'm sure things are moving faster for him than the other two, but they are slowing down, and you're, you're seeing progress for him on that front. So that's good. We have a clip here, and, and this is clip one, JT. Actually, oh, I'm just I'm just kidding. Ignore that. We already played that clip. Um, that was in reference to his, his quarterback coach talking about what they wanted him to do. Um, I will say this about the quarterbacks, JT. It's the overarching theme is is this, and it's obvious from the practices we've seen so far. This team is going to this offense, I suppose. This offense is going to look so much different this year than what folks have grown accustomed to seeing. There's going to be a lot more empty sets, and there's going to be an element of positionless ball being played by a number of these weapons on the offensive side of the ball that you aren't used to seeing. It's going to be a lot of running backs in the slot, running backs lined up out wide, tight ends lined up in different positions that you're used to them seeing, tight ends running different types of routes than you're used to them seeing with the Titans. This all kind of is encapsulated in a conversation I had with Rhett Bryan over at 104.5 and Titans Radio today, watching practice, just kind of discussing our opinions on what this year might look like for the Titans. And we were getting into the, the very popular topic of what do you think about the receiving core? What do you think about the threats on this team? We've talked about it a little bit on this show, JT. People want to look at this receiving core purely as a, let's look at the receiver depth chart, the wide receivers. And that's not really fair because I think two of your top four targets this year aren't receivers. I think the top targets for this team are Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips, who I expect big things from this year. And then Chigakonkwo, hello, might be the second biggest target on this team besides Burks. And then you've got the rookie, Tajay Spears. He's going to be a big deal. I'm telling you from practice, I can't give you details, but based on the way they're utilizing him, based on the frequency with which they are utilizing him in the passing game in practice already, again, it's May, guys. This guy's going to be a Hassan Has or not Hassan Haskins. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting his name again. Um, Dontrell going, Hilliard. Yes, thank you. Dontrell Hilliard. Plus, it's going to be Dontrell Hilliard's role last year, but even more of an impact in the in the passing game. Now, will he be the runner that that Dontrell Hilliard was? Uh, I, maybe, maybe, probably not. Probably not as effective running the ball. Certainly a different style of runner than Dontrell Hilliard a little bit. But in the passing game out of the gate, those four are going to be your four. And those four make up what I think is a much better receiving group, receiving group of, of weapons, threats in the receiving game than the majority of people are giving them credit for. And, and I, th I think that's something that you're going to see reflected in the way that they operate the offense, the confidence with which they give the quarterback, the uh, Ryan Tannehill, who's going to be the quarterback. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. Giving him the reins a little bit more in these empty sets to, to make reads, make decisions, obvious passing downs. Let's get these guys open. We think we actually have the horses, unlike last year and the year before at times, to get guys open when it's an obvious passing down and to still beat you as an offense, to be the better unit on the field. Whether that's delusional or not, we don't know. We'll see in, in August. We'll see in September. But I think that that's the way that they're going to approach it. Let's talk about Tannehill now, JT. Ryan Tannehill is is... And again, it's been three practices, but it's just so obvious. It's so clear. 
he is miles, miles ahead of the of the rest of the guys in this quarterback competition. He is the dude. I am I've been saying this since the end of the season, and I still I'm believe I'm double, triple, and quadrupling down on this that they are not trading Ryan Tannehill. Unless some incredible trade offer comes across the wire or, or or one of these two guys behind him makes some dramatic strides between now and the end of the offseason process. They are going to rock and roll with Ryan Tannehill because they are a team, as we've talked about at length, that wants to compete, thinks that they can win, thinks that they can win this division this year and be competitive in a very, very stacked AFC. They are going to have to have Ryan Tannehill be their quarterback for that to be a thing, for that to come to fruition. They are only going to have a shot at being that if Ryan Tannehill is their guy. And that's why I think that he's going to be their guy because it's just he is clearly the best option that they have right now. We've got a handful of clips from Ryan Tannehill who was available today at the podium. JT, this first clip, clip 11, is in response to the question, what is the number one thing that you're focused on as an offense, as a team right now, Ryan Tannehill, in this portion of OTAs in May, what is most important to you? And here in clip 11 was his answer as to what their number one objective is. I come together, learning a new offense right now. So that's our, our number one objective as an offense is to um, master this offense, you know, uh, take advantage of every rep we get um, a lot of new stuff, a lot of new terminology, concepts, blocking schemes, the whole thing. So, um, taking in a lot of information, learning from every rep, a lot of mistakes being made, but uh, they're, they're good mistakes because we're, we're growing from it. We're learning from it uh, across the board from receivers, tight ends, O-line, quarterbacks, running backs, everybody. So um, just taking take advantage of this time, um, making sure that, that we grow from our mistakes and, and soak up as much information as we can because uh, this is the time we have to do it. Along those same lines as clip 13, we asked Ryan Tannehill about what does it mean to make a good mistake this time of year? You know, you hear a lot about guys wanting to offensively really push the boundaries, see what they can and can't get away with this time of year. And so here in clip 13 was Ryan Tannehill's response to what constitutes a good mistake in May OTAs. Uh, it's standard, but I think uh, more obviously just everyone's learning something new. So, um, little more growing pains at this time of year, you know, only being five practices into a, to a new offense. Right. And, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight. You know, it's going to you know go into training camp as well. So um, we just want to limit that and shorten that as much as we can um, all get on the same page and, and uh, you know, keep pushing ourselves forward. You know, if we can get through this earlier on by having most of our guys here and being able to work through some of these things in the spring, it's really going to help us in the fall move forward. Mr. It, Jim Wyatt with the double pencil action in that oh, video. You know, he was he was strapped today. He was locked and loaded with yeah, the double not, pencils. If you're, if, you're listen, if you're listening to this and not watching, Jim True. Wyatt came, coming with Great the point. bright the bright orange pencils in the visor. Oh, they're the they're like, like they're like the, antenna. The, oh, they look yes. like antenna. And but it's never it's never the advanced pencils. It's always the like it's the mechanical pencils that are the old school yellow bodied pink eraser on the end you'd get it you can get them in a pack of 10 at the dollar store that's that's his go-to pencil and it's been that way for as long as i can remember watching jim wyatt so yeah you get a little glimpse of that if you're watching us on youtube which you should be over broadway sports media's youtube page 
JT, this next clip, it, it, we decided as a media group to re-up the age-old question. And by age-old, I mean two years and change. The injury situation. What did we think it was last year and the year before? What did we think constitutes a fair answer as to why this is happening? Why this has happened two years in a row? Why is this the most injured team in the league for the past 800 or so uh, some odd days? And uh, we asked that of Ryan. Paul Harsky asked that of Ryan Tannehill. Um, he's, you know, we don't really love to bring fan questions into the media scrum all the time, but this is one that just, you can't, it can't be ignored. And, and we're as a media group, JT, you and I know as well as anybody, we're running out of answers. We are, we are officially out of answers. We don't know. Is it the training staff? Is it the conditioning staff? Is it the way that they practice? Is it the play style? And I think that the answer is, or is it luck? I think that all five of those things are, it's, it's all of those things it depends on the situation, depends on the player. That being said, Ryan, Ryan kind of retorted who was asking these things. And I just instinctually was like the people, Ryan, the people are asking. And he said, Oh, the people, the people are asking. Yes, Ryan, the people are asking. And he, he found that funny, but he said, here's his answer to the people. This is clip number 14. I believe. Yeah. Clip 14 JT. Here's Ryan Tannehill's thoughts on the bad injury luck and, and uh, what they're going to do about that going into this season. Yeah, I think a lot of it is luck. You know, I've been in, um, in two organizations now, several different regimes and head coaches and strength coaches, uh, strength programs, training staffs, the, the whole thing. And, um, you know, our group does just as, as good a job as any of, of preparing us strength-wise, um, rehab-wise, the whole thing. So uh, I definitely don't think it's anything particular in this building that, that's uh, going on. I think, uh, unfortunately, that, that's kind of the luck of the draw sometimes. You know, some sometimes you stay healthy and your, your team stays healthy and you play you know, 60 guys the whole year. And then sometimes, as has been the case for us the past couple of years, you play 90, uh, which is not ideal. But like I said, it's a physical game, physical sport. The way we play is very physical on both sides of the ball. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of the way it's, it's crumbled. And so that's kind of the stock answer that we've been giving on this show. It's kind of a lot of things, but mostly it's luck. We can move on from that, but thought you might find that interesting. The uh, the penultimate Tannehill clip we have today is clip 16. And this one, he's talking about the connection. And this was a very important question brought up by our guy, Nick Suss. Very, very wise question on Nick's part. What's the connection between Ryan Tannehill and his new starting center, Mr. Mr. Aaron Brewer looking like so far. I was about to say Corey Levin. I was like, no, it's it's Aaron Brewer. Sorry. It's a lot, a lot of names floating around my head. Aaron Brewer and Ryan Tannehill get on the same page. You know, Tannehill had banked three or four seasons with Ben Jones. Ben Jones, one of the smartest, most savvy guys in the league, even in his his older age in the past couple of years. And that connection was strong. And Ben Jones was pretty much never an issue, whether it whether it was blocking or whether it was communication with his quarterback, you ask any offensive line specialist, any offensive lineman, any offensive line coach, they'd tell you probably the most important position on the line from a mental standpoint is the center position because they're the quarterback of the offensive line. And so for Aaron Brewer, the, the mental side of his game is just as important, especially this time of year as the physical side of his game. And so here in clip fifth, excuse me, 16 JT, here is Ryan Tannehill talking about the connection that he and new center Aaron Brewer have made. Great job. You know, he uh, he's in there in the meetings at 7 a.m. with us with the QBs. Uh, he was uh, coming out in the in the spring. We would throw. He'd come out and snap. So he's, he's hungry. Uh, he's a guy who uh, obviously is talented. He's quick. His quickness, his strength, uh, his mobility, 
uh, being able to move at center and, uh, you know, mentally he's on top of everything right now. So I'm really excited on, on his growth and his excitement and, and um, focus as he steps into that center role. Leadership. We're going to finally transition to the other positions on the team because there are more than just quarterbacks on this team. But we'll we'll segue perfectly with the last question that we got in for Ryan Tannehill, and this is clip 15, JT. It's him talking about his receiving core as a, as a whole, as a group. He mentions Traylon Burks and Chris Moore, goes into a little bit of detail on uh, Kyle Phillips and, and his process from last year to this year. So here's clip 16, Ryan Tannehill talking about his receiving room. You know, Traylon obviously is is the guy that's, that's, that stood out. Uh, we talked about Chris, guy who stood out. Um, Kyle, you know, coming back from from uh, the injury bug last year, you know, just you know couldn't couldn't get back out there, but um, seems to be moving really well. Excited with his progression and what he can add to the offense. Um, we just have a bunch of a bunch of young guys who are uh, trying to step in. Mason's done a good job. Um, a bunch of young guys who are, are stepping in and they're hungry. Nick, obviously, a guy who's been here. Um, just steady, steady, and, and you know what you're getting from them. So um, as we all learn this offense, we're going to learn more and more every day, but excited from the growth from that group. All right, let's talk about the receivers, JT. Yeah, let's talk about them. <clears throat> of course, another time to see this receiving core that Tim Kelly has now famously said, yep, that's all we need. And we're good, baby. Uh, we're all good. We need. Um, we're good. What did you see from them today? Anybody uh stand out for you today any um maybe guys that were flying under the radar that could make an impact on this team yeah the guy that primarily stood out to me today was chris moore the new wide receiver the the by a, quite a bit most veteran receiver on the team he's 30 years old the next oldest guy i think is 24 or 25 but chris moore was flying around quite a bit today they were using him inside and out a lot and uh, I, I still I am not giving away any company secrets here because my point in saying that he was used inside and out is that I'm still not quite sure what his role on this team is going to be based on the way they're using him. I do know they're using him quite a bit. And in every practice, he's being utilized quite a bit. And so I think that he's going to be a big part of this team. And going back to my conversation with Rhett Bryan from Titans Radio, we got into this about how if the top four receiving threats on this team are Chickaconquo, Kyle Phillips, Traylon Burks, and Tajay Spears, if that makes Chris Moore your fifth option, then I think the perspective on Chris Moore maybe changes. I think the calculus changes a little bit because right now folks seem to be really down on and kind of memeing on Chris Moore and what he's going to be for this team. Older guy, never really been a stud in the league, never really been a guy you knew of, frankly, until he came to Nashville. But my point is this, Chris Moore had more receiving yards last year on the Texans than I think every single receiver on the Titans team last year. And that was with a much worse situation in Houston last year than he's going to have in Tennessee this year. He's not with Davis Mills and the Island of Misfit Toys anymore. He's with Ryan Tannehill and maybe the Island of some Misfit Toys, but I think much less Misfit and they're going to get better and better. There's a lot more promise to this team. And by the way, it's coached a little bit better, a little bit more more unity on this team, I think, than is is going on down in Houston. But that being said, I think a lot of the the downness on him right now is based mostly on expectations. And JT, if he's the fifth option for this team, if he's the receiver five in terms of production, does that change the way that you view Chris Moore on this team? I think it does, but like 
it's more so he's still wide receiver three, which I even think is fine for Chris Moore to be wide receiver three, hmm. uh, target five in production. Right. Like I, I still think it, it's totally fine. I think people thought it's because he's the only free agent acquisition that right. everyone is. And that's not to say that that's of. great, that that's well above average. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying this wide receiver room is actually a okay. We agree with Tim Kelly. That's not what we're saying. No, yes. What we're saying is that it's, it's, I think it's way less bad than people think that it is. Is that, is that kind of the conclusion that you're coming to? I think that's the conclusion that Tim Kelly is also coming to. I think it's the conclusion yes. that the, the Titans are coming to. They, they are telling everybody we believe and see more in these guys than the media does. And everyone else outside that building does. And I think that's the Titan, probably the Titans fair... have proverbially put the slap in the, the Ted Lasso believe sign yes. up on the wall. Hey guys, trust us on this. Now maybe, maybe you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't trust on them, uh, trust in them because, because they could just be wrong uh, or delusional, but that is the message that they're sending. And I think that if Chris Moore really is your fifth option, Maybe not the worst thing in the world. I got to mention Jacob Copeland, who uh, there was a great article from our guy, Justin Mello over at Broadway Sports Media this week on Justin Copeland, a premium article that is a an interview with with Jacob talking to him about his progress and uh, being an undrafted free agent when it was thought pre-draft he he would probably be drafted. He was not out of Maryland, a guy who is is somebody that brings some promise, I think to the receiving room, it wouldn't bank on him. You know, you, you got, again, it's, it's so nuanced this time of year for a UDFA. I think that he is a very promising guy in the grand scheme of receivers. He's got an uphill battle battle for sure, but he flashed today a number of times. And I think that if he, if he builds some momentum, puts together some good days here in OTAs and mandatory mini camp, and then going into training camp parlays that into a good camp and then a good preseason, he could absolutely make the 53 man roster, especially in this wide receiver landscape from, from a depth perspective that the Titans are working with, i.e. really, really poor. Um, Colton Dowell, rookie seventh round pick for the Titans this past draft. They continue to utilize him really heavily. And I have my doubts on paper JT as to whether or not he's going to really be an impact this year. I think from a scouting perspective and from a, you're a seventh round pick, you're really raw. You've got the body for it, but again, you're really raw. I'm not really expecting much out of him this year, but so far in camp, they're using him a lot and they seem to like him quite a bit. So I, I kind of think that he's, I know he's going to make the 53 man roster. There's not a doubt in my mind that he does. That being said, I may, not a doubt is strong, but I'm, I'm, I'm like 85, 95% confident that he makes the 53 man roster at this rate. That being said, will he have an impact in year one? I don't know. My brain says no, but my eyes say maybe because of the way that they've been using him. Last guy, Traylon Burks, who we have uh, a clip on. JT, he's getting the rookie, or excuse me, not the rookie, opposite of that. He's getting the veteran wide receiver one treatment out there. He is working with Rob Moore on his own on the side, full Derrick Henry style, working with your position coach one-on-one. -on -one. And, and frankly, he looks the part, he's acting the part, so he deserves the role. I think that that, that is fair for him, and, and this team does see him as that guy that can be that true number one. We want to get him in. The, he's in the AP class with the coaches. He's not, he's not in the standard class with everybody else. He is working on the finer things to become that next level household name receiver in the NFL. And, and the Titans certainly think that he can be that guy. He's getting high praise across the board from coaches, from teammates. We asked Mike Vrabel about it. 
today. He mentioned a lot of good things, which if you remember back, JT, Mike Herbal, even on, on good days with Traylon Burks, was very apt to show him some tough love in in uh, in media availability at the podium after games. The love is getting less and less tough, and I think that's a good sign because when when Mike Ribble loves on you like he does the Jeffrey Simmons of the world and the Kevin Byards of the world, the Chickaconquos of the world, that means that you've started to to really earn your keep with him. That he's not he's not feeling like he has to hold your feet to the fire as much, and that seems to be the case. Another guy that we have a clip of this is clip thirteen. JT, we asked Ryan Tannehill about what Traylon Burks has been doing, what he's been looking like this offseason. And here in clip 13 was Ryan Tannehill's thoughts on his wide receiver one, Traylon Burks. I'm really excited about what I've seen from him. Uh, he's flying around. He's moving fast. He's moving efficiently. He's coming out. He's working. He's in shape. Um, all great things. Obviously, he's been able to, to catch the ball and, and get open his whole time here. But all the little things that, that go along with playing the position, being able to see the field, understand the full concept as opposed to just a route, you know, how he fits in the whole picture, all those things. And uh, I think he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. So just want to keep him going, keep him growing. Uh, he's doing a lot of really, really good things right now. I'm really happy with uh, his growth and um, want to keep pushing forward. What do you say we move on to the specialists, JT? Yeah, there's one who we spent an entire episode basically talking about last week. What else was there to talk about? Um, but you have you're pretty confident in one of these special teamers that uh, I am mo most, most people will know him. Yeah. Trey Wolf, who I was talking about at length in the kicker episode last week, guys, just, you don't have to trust me, but I'm asking you to trust me on this. He he's the dude. Okay. He's the guy he's this year. He's, he's the kicker this year. Um, unless something catastrophic happens, they, it is get every time I'm watching him, hearing coaches and teammates talk about him, watching the way that they're utilizing him on the field this time of year. It is in a lot of ways, a mirror image of what they were doing last year with Ryan Stonehouse. We know how that turned out. They are treating him. They are grooming him to be the starting kicker for this team. Now, Caleb Shudak is still putting up a good fight. He, they both look good so far. And I, again, I can't get into details, but we've not seen a guy with the amount of leg that Trey Wolf is bringing to the table with this team in a while. And he's bringing a leg. Trey Wolf has no distance concerns. Like we talked about last week, it is purely an accuracy standpoint. And today, it was a no concerns standpoint because he looked, without saying it, he looked good. He looked good across the board. He looked like a professional NFL kicker that you can rely on. He was banging them out and banging them out and banging them out. I'm telling you, He's going to be a household name in Nashville by the end of September. You can bookmark this. this I, don't, I don't come with takes like that very often, JT. I really don't. All righty, let's move on to the defense, who not a lot to say probably on them. You know, the defense is the defense, essentially. They brought in um, another free agent to round out that depth on the defensive line. However, the, we 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 kind of know what they're going to be. They're they have yep. huge aspirations for for this upcoming season. What did you see from them today? Yeah, and just to start off to to kind of round out the hat trick of mentioning my conversation with Rhett Bryan today. We, had, we we talked for a while on the sidelines. If you can't tell, the reason why we both believe this team has a higher floor than people understand. The reason why we don't think this team can bottom out, even if the offense is dead last, thirty second in the NFL is because this defense is going to be 
too good for them to be that bad. It is. It's going to be too good. And it may be frustrating. Like this offense could, in theory, be the worst in the league. And it can look like the Steelers have a couple of times at the end of Big Ben's run where it's like, holy cow, this defense is carrying this team so hard right now. That might be the case. And it may be like, you know, seven or eight wins and six of them are defensive led and it annoys the fool out of people. But that's just the case. Okay, folks. So you should be not rooting for a tank because it's not happening because one side of the ball is going to be too good for that to happen. It's the defense. They were down a number of key guys today, JT, just to, to circle back to the guys we mentioned who were out there last week, but weren't today. Amani Hooker wasn't there. They're still missing Kevin Byard. Sean, Sean Murphy Bunting wasn't there. Still missing Nico Autry, still missing Harold Landry, still missing Christian Fulton. And yet, and yet, the defense still brought the business today. They still showed up today. Defensive backs coach Chris Harris, who we mentioned his energy last week. This dude's a vibe, man. I I love talk, getting to talk to him today. Didn't get any quotes from him because everybody was around him. Couldn't get, frankly, close enough to get any good audio. But this dude is fun, and it's so funny if you're just talking to him outside of the drills, outside of practice. He's actually kind of a soft-spoken, quiet dude. Seems really chill. Then he gets out there, and the dude's hair's on fire. The second he's on the field, this guy is losing his ever-loving mind in the best possible way. He brings an energy that really a defensive backs coach should bring. I was talking to Teron Davenport about this today. A DB's coach should be that. He should have that lunatic gene in him that all defensive backs have. That delusional, lunatic, hair-on-fire gene, and Chris Harris has it and I love it. I think that it's a great it's a great benefit. It's a great credit to this defensive backfield and uh it's going to to be a fun season I think from a defensive standpoint because they're going to be very good. They they looked good today. And that's really all I have to say today. And it, again, it's hard when they're not in pads. The defensive front, it's hard to even judge what what exactly is going on because there's it's limited contact. They're in helmets and nothing else. But the cornerbacks held their own. A number of uh, interceptions or near interceptions today, despite a lot of the the star defensive backs not being out there. It was a good day for the defense. And finally, before we get out of here, we always have to do our Mike Vrabel coach speak roundup here. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> at the end here. So we have a couple of clips from Mike Vrabel at the podium. Of course, some interesting topics today with uh, a man named DeAndre Hopkins floating out there and just kind of ah. how this team is structured. What'd you hear from him today? Yeah, we'll get to the Hopkins question second. First, here's a clip from him. This is clip 17. We asked what his message was for the rookies and for the young guys on the team this time of year in May. You know, there's some things you can do, some things that do matter, some things that don't. What is it you're trying to get through to these new guys who this is really their first taste of live NFL action? And here in Club 17 was Mike Vrabel's response to that question. Well, again, we've tried to talk to them and everybody around here that continue to coach um, the mistakes but demand the effort. And you know, we understand that mistakes are going to happen. You just can't stand there. You know, we have to train them out of that. And, um, you know, hopefully that they're new mistakes and, and that they're, they're, they're the reasons that they can answer why maybe the mistake came and that, you know, or they just um, need to get it again, you know, in an installation or walk through. So we just have to work through those different things and kind of take each of them uh, as they come up. And then finally, the last clip, it had to be asked. And I'll let you, I'll give you three guesses and two of them don't count as to who posed the question. But Paul had to ask, and I'm glad that he did. 
What's the deal with this team's interest in DeAndre Hopkins? Is that a guy that you're looking to potentially bring in here? And here was Mike Vrabel's very short answer to that question. JT, this is clip 18. You know, I think our focus has always been about the players that we have here. And we'll keep you updated as, you know, we continue to, to add players to the roster. And here's the thing. This this is something that was taken and run with by many people. GT, how did, how did you interpret that answer from Mike Vrabel? What, what, did, what is your takeaway? My takeaway is that uh, if we uh, – I have the players on the roster, and if we add more players on the roster – those will be the players. <laughs> yeah, it's, AKA it's not my job. I don't care. Quit asking me questions. You know, I don't want to answer right now. Basically. Yeah. Was that in any way a definitive yes or no as to whether the team is interested in Deandre Hopkins? I don't even think so in the slightest. Yeah. So that is, I think the reasonable, anybody that's paid attention to the Titans at all take. And yet some in the national media have taken that as a Titans aren't interested. Now I, I don't know. If this guy, I'm trying to pull up the tweet right now, Jeff Kerr over with CBS sports. I don't know if I'd imagine he's good at his job because he's writing for CBS. I'm not trying to down down Jeff Kerr, but he, he had an article come out today, like seven minutes before we started to record today. The headline DeAndre Hopkins sends cryptic tweets day after becoming a free agent Two teams, all but rule out signing wide receiver. And in the second paragraph of the, the article, he says, hours after New York Jets head coach Robert Salah, Salah and Titans head coach Mike Vrabel all but said their teams won't be signing Hopkins. Pause. What? You? Huh? That? Why? That? Uh, that is not the takeaway from that statement. I don't. I don't understand. I tweeted at him like, "Hey, that's you. Either got bad info, or you. You are. You have a fundamental misunderstanding." of how Mr. Mike Vrabel operates. That is that is not what that meant. So we got a non-answer there. And uh, Mike Vrabel, beyond that, was a lot a lot of, um, in his press availability, a lot of, we're ready to move on to minicamp. I'm ready to move on to minicamp. Let's, let's be done with the, the May OTAs. And I cannot blame him. I'm glad that we don't have to talk about them anymore because, JT, we are done today. And I believe we are done with OTAs until mandatory minicamp late next week. So thanks for everybody to tune, that tuned in. Again, sorry we couldn't go live today. Reminder, we do have a show with uh, our guy Junie Riddle over at 102.5. He's maybe a new name to you, but he's been on the air um, a good bit in the past couple of months. I have gotten to know Junie in the past couple of weeks. Great guy, bright guy, um, insightful guy. He's got He's got some takes that I disagree with vehemently. He's got some takes that I think are really clever that I agree with quite a bit, and I think that, that they are worth mentioning. And so we're going to have him on the show on Friday, our regularly scheduled Friday AM show. First thing when you wake up, it'll be waiting for you in the inbox. Can't wait to record that one and talk all things Titans with Junie. You'll want to, to tune into that one to get some fresh perspectives on all things Titans. And then we'll be back first thing uh, next week on Monday talking about, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Something new, something exciting. Maybe we'll start our finally start our dive into each player individually from the draft. Uh, until then... Until Friday, I'm your host, Houston Freeze. For producer JT, this has been the Hot Read Podcast. We'll talk to you Friday morning.